All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fucking ears? What the fuck, Nicks? What the fuckadelics? What the fucksters? What the fuckleberry thins? What the fuck rakers? And uh, the regional WTFs I will uh, keep to myself at this juncture. Please watch my show on IFC. The second episode of Marin airs tonight, every Thursday, 10 o'clock, 9 p.m. other places, 10 on the East and West Coasts, scattered different times throughout the rest of the country between 9 and 10 you can watch it on hulu all the episodes will be on hulu you can go to itunes and uh sign up for a a subscription Uh, ifc has a streaming element you can watch it there as well you can dvr it marin on ifc tonight's episode features ray romano in a uh slightly plays slightly against character as himself i enjoyed this episode it's cute i can be cute i can be lighthearted in my heavy way yes yes i can uh did i mention who's on the show shepherd fairy is on the show today shepherd fairy the artiste he's a shepherd fairy has fucked my head up for years i had no idea what the hell was going on because of his stuff didn't have any idea if you know shepherd fairy's work or if you want to if you're in charleston south carolina that area shepherd will be returning to his hometown next week to show some of his new work thursday may 22nd at the halsey institute of contemporary art at the college of charleston go see work from shepherd and jasper johns you know targets and stuff jasper johns did some pop art back in the day but shepherd fairy shepherd fairy fucked my brain he did i talked to him about it many of you know him from the famous obama hope poster but more of you probably know him from the obey business the andre the giant the stickers the 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 graffiti the the markings the obey everywhere just andre the giant's head obey how many years i mean i lived in new york city how many years did i say what the fuck is that about what the fuck's the point of that where where what am i how am i supposed to react to that I kind of get it. It's kind of creepy. It's kind of a riff on some sort of totalitarian business. It just, what is it? What is this Andre the Giant Obey business? I had invested so much conspiracy in it. I had no idea what it was. I thought that before I knew it was Shepard Fairey's artwork, I thought it was just a small army of people out to mind fuck the world. And it was because a lot of people picked up on the very intentional meme I don't know if it became a meme on purpose. I talked to Shepard about that a bit, but it was out in the world. And back when it first started showing up, I was already a little fucked in the head. I believe, I'm trying to think of what year that was, but I was down on the Lower East Side and I had become obsessed. There was a lot of tagging going on, a lot of graffiti art. I don't know what the right verbiage is around that type of expression, but there was this one thing, this upside down martini glass with a like a, a jail underneath it with a cross through it. The missing foundation, that was everywhere on the Lower East Side. I had no idea what it was. The only point of reference I had at that point for any of this stuff was the postal horn in The Crying of Lot 49 by Thomas Pynchon. And because I read Pynchon, I invested just a tremendous amount of meaning and and possible mind-fucking conspiracy in both the missing foundation uh, tag and also in uh, in Shepard Fairey's Obey thing. I was like, what is going on? It's sort of this weird kind of, uh, f- you know, franchised 
radical wake-up call. And by franchised, I mean that obviously people picked up on the tagging and picked up on promoting the the meme and pushing the art forward. They were related to it. It had significance. Or it just was a way to say, you know, fuck you. There's something outside the box that you don't know about and it's functioning in your day-to-day life. Are you aware? I'm like, I'm paranoid. I'm nervous. I, I, I feel left out, but I am not aware. And I talked to Shepard about it because that's his baby. And I like Shepard's artwork. I, you know, there are, there are some, you know, arguments about, you know, whether or not, you know, that fine line between advertising and art, but that that's always been there. I think since, um, you know, I, I've always had a love hate relationship with Andy Warhol. I don't think he cares. But uh, I remember seeing the retrospective of Warhol at the Museum of Modern Art. I don't remember how many years ago that was, but just seeing how he started out as an artist in earnest, doing interesting things with the gold leaf and whatnot. In my recollection of the exhibit, I'm not an art historian here. And then at some point, he just turned it all in on itself and said, fuck you. You know, I'm going to run, you know, silk screens of things that you identify. I'm going to make sculptures of things that you see in everyday life. And I'm going to present it in a slightly different lens. I'm going to take these objects that you know of, both uh, uh, you know, from supermarkets, from the press. I'm going to take them and I'm going to mindfuck you with them. How would you like to be mindfucked by a Campbell soup can? How would you like to have to reckon with the simplicity of a Campbell's soup can? What does it mean? It means I just took a delivery system out of context and shat in your head. And that's art. And it is. Why not? I mean, he was one of the first guys to do assembly line silkscreen portraits. And I I dug him. He created something. He created an idea. He created a meme. He created a, a, a process. Created a format that he could repeat over and over again. And again, his art, I, there's nothing wrong with art that's got a big healthy dose of fuck you at the core of it i've always appreciated it though i still you know question it i still question warhol for years for years i talked to Shepard about this i I did talk to him about warhol a bit but i i just i need more art in my life that's all i'm saying all right i got i gotta get out there and do it i think everyone should do it just actively go out and you know and shove some art in your head somehow all right so you're wondering about the hands and feet tingling those of you are caught up on my personal narrative of you know i everything is going pretty well but i seem to have uh, a bit of uh, a bit of of dark voidness i'm not involved with anybody romantically right now i'm carrying a heavy heart about the failures of my recent relationships so when i'm alone it's very hard for me to know what the hell to do i don't hang out with that many people so i get done with my work at, during the day and i'm like what does a person do now what does a person do and cooking for yourself becomes a little sad i'll make myself some dinner Oh, look, it's a sad piece of chicken and some sad beans. Why do you look at it like that, Mark? Don't talk to yourself like you're not the only one talking. It's it's just a it's a it's a shift. I'm just trying to make the shift, you know, back to spending time alone. And part of that time seems to be ruminating on my physical health. So to get around to it, as some of you know, I had the tingles in the feet and the tingles in the hand. They persist. Although it's not compromising uh, anything, I, my balance is fine. I went running in 91 degree uh, weather yesterday. I don't know what I was trying to prove to myself, but I lived. Could have gotten heat stroke. Could have dropped. Didn't drop. Fine. 
That's what I'm doing. So I go to the neurologist. Seems like a decent guy. I don't know him. There's a lot of pictures of rock and roll people. Uh, you know, not not patients, but someone's a rock fan. But I go over there and he does the thing. You know, he does, you know, he checks my reflexes. He checks, you know, makes me look away and, and checks, you know, if I know up and down with my fingers and my toes. He hooks me up to a machine. He's pretty dead sure that I have carpal tunnel. I don't know where I would get carpal tunnel. Then he starts shocking me. He says, do you don't mind being shocked, do you? And I'm like, I don't know how much shock. And then, he, you know, they put some tape, some wires on me. He shocks my arm and I get feel a little jerk. And he says, well, I don't know. You, it looks fine, but I still think you have carpal tunnel. He asked me a bunch of questions about... You know, my vision, yeah, that's fine. Is, uh, you know, am I, am I okay? Otherwise, it's fine. Uh, how's my erections? I'm like, well, you know, hit or miss, but usually okay. You know, some nights are better than others. That's normal, right? <laughs> uh, this is such a great, great question. How are your erections? Well, I'm very proud of them. No, but everything's fine. He could find nothing. So now I'm that guy. Like, can you just give me like, oh, maybe it's this, maybe it's that. No, it's nothing. I don't know. There's nothing wrong with you. So what is it then? Is it my mind? I've been very sort of operating at a high level of not aggravation, just like I am amped all the time. And some of you are diagnosing me. Maybe, okay, look, maybe maybe a little anti-anxiety stuff would help me out because I, w- I would like to enjoy my life for however long of it I have left. I would like to enjoy that. Would you mind? Did I plug my shows? Tonight, I'm interviewing Vince Vaughn in Nashville. Um, That's sold out. Tomorrow night, the 16th, I will be at Zany's for a 7 p.m. show. There are tickets available for that. On Saturday, I'll just be in Nashville driving around in a rental car. Um, What else is happening? I will be in Albuquerque, New Mexico on May 31st. I'm going to be in Chicago in June for the big uh, 26th annual, first annual comedy festival. Go to WTFPod.com and check the calendar. I feel a little bit heavy hearted. I'm not complaining. It's just life weighing down, saying, Mark, You're 50 years old. Do you even know what you like to do? Do you even know what you want to do with your free time? Do you even know how to have a good time? Who's saying that stuff to me? That's a good question. Good question. We'll deal with that later. Let's talk to Shepard Ferry now. Shepard Ferry, I didn't know if you really existed. <laughs> there you are, sitting right there. In the flesh. But um, don't don't clam up on me now that you're on the mic. We almost did the entire interview in the house, just <laughs> sitting there. You know, it was weird because I went down this rabbit hole because I knew you were coming over. And I started thinking about when I lived in New York in the late 80s. And I started thinking about, you know, I went back beyond the, uh, the Obey, Andre the Giant things. And I started thinking about these symbols that I used to see in New York all over the place and just the power of that sort of uh, the, the, the omnipresent symbol that is, that is coded somehow or right. mysterious enough to make you go like, what the fuck is that about? And I went on Twitter and I, at first I thought it was the Dead Kennedys logo, but it wasn't. And then uh, I, I couldn't remember what the logo was or anything. And then I, got, I finally figured it out that some guy on Twitter had sent me that. Do you remember that? Yeah, that, I do. 
That's the the missing foundation, Peter Missing's thing that was all over the Lower East Side in the late eighties. And I never knew what the fuck it was and it haunted me. And I, I think there's a power to that that you know you certainly tapped into. But what was your first sort of you know, what what made you what what compelled you to do to do Andre and, and what did it mean? <laughs> I mean, I know it's a weird place to start, but it seems like the place to start. Sure, sure. Um well to go back a little bit further, the things that got me excited about about art making um, were skateboarding and punk rock. I, I I drew as a kid, but I grew up in Charleston, South Carolina. So I, I all that I was surrounded by was paintings of ducks and seascapes, and um, no exposure to uh, to to modern art or the ideas of modern art as a child at all. No, no, not really. Um, you know, later in high school, I, I finally was exposed to to Warhol, and of course, you know, the the impressionists, though they were somewhat. Um, progressive and controversial at the moment had been well assimilated at that point so sure. no no contemporary art but, but you um, gravitated towards the impressionists um well I, I i liked that as um at least there was there was some sort of um pictorial liberty taken in in sort of uh, reducing things to brush strokes and which one way, did you like the way light reflects off things um well i um <laughs> Because I, I grew up like uh, kind of, my mother painted a bit and she would drag me to museums all throughout my childhood. So art was sort of this ongoing thing in my life or sort of being around it. But I, I gravitated towards Impressionist too uh, initially, but I think it was because she did. Well, you know, I, I was con- a somewhat contrarian from about age 13, but yeah. I still, my parents liked Monet and I, I liked that he could paint something. They liked the cathedrals. I liked the the hay bales yeah, that oh, yeah something so simple as the light hitting a hay bale during different times of the day different seasons and how um what what seems like very inane subject matter could yield a really compelling picture right yeah Cezanne's fruit i right? thought i kind of liked <laughs> you yeah, know i liked and i like there do you go to museums now and do, i was talking to someone else about this that do you have any relationships with pieces of art that you need to see once a year or twice a year you know, I, I wish um, I wish I had more time to go to museums. There, yeah. Whenever any of my favorite artists' work is is in a show, I, I try to go. Um, you know, when when I was still living in San Diego, I drove up to see Barbara Kruger's show at MoCA because Kruger had been a really big uh, inspiration for me. And if you look at the the Obey logo with yeah. the red bar with the white type, I mean that's a straight Barbara Kruger lift. Uh-huh. Um, and, you know, she was inspired by working in advertising, and that was a device that was used in advertising that she just then, uh, you know, really utilized in her work and made a very specific aesthetic which, known to her. Which 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 device exactly? The the white type reversed uh-huh. out of a red oh, bar across okay. a black and white image. Uh-huh. And, um, you know, I, I – so – Seeing that her work in person, where it was it was presented as installation, was really moving to me. Seeing um, Rauschenberg's combine paintings in person, um, one of the first things that I saw at ten years old when we took a family trip from South Carolina to New York was the um, Chuck Close, uh, um, the retrospective Philip, Philip Glass painting. Oh, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. just you know a very large piece, incredibly meticulously rendered you know photorealistically but it was uh it was mind-blowing to see something done that well technically and um and that basically made me want to draw and paint well at yeah, 10 years it, old it wasn't isn't it amazing when you first see chuck close and you and you don't you when you see it in a book you have no idea how big those canvases are yeah and then you stand in front of one and you're like holy shit 
and the way like as he got on in life the 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 pixels became different and he started to experiment with colors within the the uh, the actual i would say painted pixels of what yeah he the abstraction within right. the the element of the grid that, yeah yeah i mean the original paintings were really really impressive but it, a lot of it's about um you know technique but also patience that it just takes forever to do that but once he um had you know had the spine um issue and you know uh, some partial paralysis the way that that limited his precision but he found another way that actually i think is is maybe more impressive to mm-hmm. to render these photorealistic images with all these elements of the grid that are not representational right, right. oh yeah that was fascinating yeah it's just it's incredible and you know i love the i love the idea of people of artists setting out sort of um you know parameters for themselves but having you know uh, uh having a, a lot of impressive innovation within those parameters so okay so you grow up in 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 charleston that's south carolina right yep that's right and you know what what's what's your childhood like you're not you're, are you living in a rural area what, what, <laughs> what is do you have animals what, what, is, what business is your father in uh in the agricultural <laughs> field i um I, no, I, my dad. That's, that's condescending to me. But my, uh, no, that's great. I mean, when I when I left Charleston and, and uh, visited San Francisco for the first time and had my skateboard with me, and um, I was a pretty decent skateboarder. People, people said, "Where are you from?" I said, "South Carolina." Said, How do you skateboard? Isn't it just dirt roads there? Um, <laughs> but yeah, I'm glad. Yeah, I'm, I, I'm showing my ignorance. Yeah. judgment. Send, send, send me a letter. Uh, Pony Express will get it there in six months. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, no, my I did grow up in a, a. It's fairly conservative. I went to the same grade school and high school that Stephen Colbert went to. Really, uh-huh. Porter Goud. Very. Um, Were you guys buddies? Uh, no, we didn't. He's six years older than I am, so we didn't know each other. But um, uh, a guy that he knew when I when I first met Colbert, he said, "Yeah, did you know Carlos Salinas?" I said, "No, but he's the first guy I ever saw wear a Sex Pistols T-shirt." So he made an impression on me. Uh. But um, my my dad was captain of the football team when he was in high school and my mom was head cheerleader and then you know, they, um, you know so there was a, a, a depth to the struggle at home it yeah. wasn't just parental it was ideological <laughs> on all levels exactly so um you know i grew i grew up uh yeah uh, i had a fine my childhood was fine but uh i always felt dissatisfied and i still do but i couldn't put my finger on it and then i found um uh, discovered skateboarding and with that came the Dead Kennedys the Circus Zerks Black Flag the Clash the Sex Pistols and then I was like ah this is what I've been missing this what? is the you know the alternative a, a, a phrase right. that there, had not been coined yet right there's a way out right there's a, right. You know, there's a different uh, there's something that's completely different from anything that's around me right and and so at that time was that what year was that so was that when skate punk was it or were you already a little late to the game or was it right in the middle of it um well, at the end of 1983, mm-hmm. so um, that's right there, right? Yeah, and um, but the, well, you know what came with that was this, uh, you know, it was rebellious, um, visceral, uh, creative. There was art like Raymond Pettibone's art for Black Flag, Jamie Reed's art for the Sex Pistols, all the great graphics for skateboards with, you know, skulls and daggers, and yeah, you know, and and so that. Uh, for me, as someone who liked to draw, all of a sudden I could make homemade stencils and make my own stickers. And you know, I put the sticker on the car that said "Stop the Arms Race, Not the Human Race" that I'd made myself. And my parents were really upset about it. But when they tried to peel it off, it was one of those paper ones, and yeah. it was going to look even worse yeah, so trying to get it off. So they, you know, <laughs> they had to leave they, it on. They, yeah, they had to leave it on. But um, all of those things meant that when I went to the Rhode Island School of Design for college, that um, you know, th- this this do-it-yourself culture was part of me and then i discovered graffiti 
Well, what was your what, what what was your struggle at home in terms of like what what kind of profession was your dad in? My dad um, was and is a, a doctor, and my mom had um, taught English to put my dad through medical school. Then was a stay at home mom for uh, for me and my sister, and then um, and then started a, a bed and breakfast reservation service because Charleston has all these historic homes that had a room to rent, and before the internet. Some uh, it, it was inefficient to run your own ad with just one room, but my my mom had the great idea to aggregate all does of that. Does she still do that? No, she sold that business, and now she's just a, a part time real estate agent and does a lot of sort of uh, uh, yeah charity and local local organization work. So when you first started showing signs of 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 being a, a sort of artistic rebel. I mean, you know, I always assume that when when parents are teachers that they they want to encourage creativity. But was there was there a fight there? Your old man's a doctor. What kind of doctor? <laughs> Just family practice. Oh, GP. Yeah. Oh, yeah. so so like, uh, was there was were they excited? About, <laughs> you know, I think my parents liked that. That I had a hobby that that wasn't just throwing water balloons at cars or drugs. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, I I was always <laughs> mischievous, but the, when I when I would draw um, and paint. They'd say, oh, you know, you could, you'd be in your room for hours and hours and hours without um, coming out. And um, I think they liked that at least there was something I, I put some energy, effort into and what were focused you on. What were you drawing and painting at that time? Well, it's funny. I, you know, I went through phases. When I was a little kid, all I wanted to draw was war shit. It was like tanks, aircraft carriers, uh, uh, jets, bombers. Um, but then, uh, and then I went through, Charleston has a lot of pretty cool architecture, so I went through a phase of of painting a lot of these distinctive houses with their shrubs and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, uh, and then later, uh, later in high school, I really got into um, images with a lot of emotion, like guys in in jail pu- putting their hand out, and I don't know where that. I think that was coming from some sort of punk rock affectation. And you were making but, that um, up. I mean, you didn't yeah. draw from pictures. Yeah, well, I um, I sometimes I drew from life, and sometimes I would draw like I'd see a, a you know a movie still, but it would be you know in a book I couldn't take with me, and I would just try to remember it, or I would, or I would. Uh, my mom had a Xerox machine; I would Xerox something and use it as a as a reference. But it was a, a you know a mixture of you know uh, from my head from things that uh, I could set my easel up and do right in front of me or create a still life in my room or whatever, or, or from, uh, yeah, things from, things from books and magazines that were cool pictures. And it's interesting too, at that time though, like there was still that, that weird, um, the Xerox mentality that you could go down to the copy store and just do all kinds of weird shit and put shit together. And that sort of was art in a way. Well, I mean, one of the things that, that punk rock, uh, dictated was that, you know, you, you don't have to be good. You just have to do it. And and um, be the earnest. Z- yeah, the Xerox machine was 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 like the ultimate tool of empowerment, and in that you could make multiples really quickly. And the way that it would um, reduce the image to you know high contrast was actually really appealing with a lot of images. And I loved that. And my mom happened to have a Xerox machine for her bed and breakfast business, so she was all like, "Don't use up all the toner." But I was late at night. I was sneaking down to the Z- yeah, to yeah, her yeah. office to use a Xerox machine. The high contrasting—that's so. true. It kind of breaks the image down to complete black and white, and you get a whole different thing. Yeah, it's great. I, I remember like because I remember this from my my childhood because that you know that art was sort of. I, I went to I worked at it right across from the university, so I was sort of tapped into this, you know, to the kind of um, whatever the Albuquerque art scene is, right, or was. But what in order to 
to sort of decide to to go to RISD. I mean, RISD comes, you know, that's a pretty big reputation. There's the, there's the expectation there, you know, like a lot of kind of famous artists went there that, you know, redefined what modern art was. I mean, what was the decision-making process around that? So you're skating around, you're in high school. What, what, why'd you decide on RISD? And, and your parents must've been supportive of that as well, right? <laughs> sort of. Yeah. Um, well, I, um, I went to Portugal, the very conservative school and I left after. Did you have to wear a uniform? I had to wear a coat and tie. And, um, throughout high school. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, it, it, it it also was sixty percent guys and forty percent girls, and I, I uh, it was all rich, smart brats. I, I felt like uh, I was I was suffocating. Southern there. rich, yeah, smart brats, ex- exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and and um, so I uh, I went to I switched from there and went and went to public school for a couple of years, where I was able to be around a much more diverse group of people and have friends that. Um, you know, had high IQs and low IQs, it's, and it's, um, it's important, and, man. Yeah, and, and and did drugs and didn't yeah, do drugs, right, right. and were white and weren't white. Yeah, <laughs> and, it's a big change. Yeah. I mean, I did the same thing. I went to private school until I got thrown out, and then when you go to public school, you're like, oh, this is real life. Yeah, yeah. You know, this is how it's supposed to be. This is how you learn and grow and get new ideas and things. And you know, navigating all the, the you know different social and yep. economic things, I, I think is actually really valuable in what did term. you do were you the funny guy or the, uh, the the weird guy or did you play sports i i just i was um i loved how porous the different uh cliques were in a way because i was in honors classes but i hung out with the skater pothead kids yeah. and um you know but then i also had friends that were you know that were in like band but but just because we both liked Jimi hendrix and led zeppelin sure and yeah. um so you know, so I like that, but my parents hated that I went to that school, and they they kept saying, you know, uh, you're just you're skating by, and they loved using skating by as a term because I was a skateboarder, and they they you know, um, were you doing pools and stuff? Oh yeah, yeah, I skated ramps, pools, um, you know, hand, skated board slid down handrails. I was uh, a very serious skateboarder. Have, when was the last time you got on a board? Uh, well, now my daughter, who's eight. Um, she's skateboarding and yeah. so I've been going out with her but my wife when we had our first first kid um, yeah. she said well you know you've got street art DJing uh, all, you know all the all these other hobbies yeah. skateboarding one of them's gotta go and um, and so I decided it would be skateboarding since I had arthritis in my left knee but then when our daughter said you know I really want to get a skateboard yeah my wife, my um, I said, no, I don't think you want that, Vivian. You know, bikes are a lot cooler. But because I, I knew if I pushed it on her, she would say, no, I would, yeah, you know, I want a right, bike instead. Right. Reverse psychology. But um, then now my wife says, like, you got to go skateboarding with Vivian. You got to make time for it. So <laughs> it all worked out. <laughs> but just, just remember, you're a little more breakable now, right? Yeah, and and it is. It's very, it's very humbling because I was. The skateboard was like was like one with my body at one point. I had such good control over it, and now it's uh, yeah, it's you know, I'm, it's a young I'm, man's game. Man. It is, it is. But wait, but with skate punk, because it's interesting. When I was thinking about talking to you before, and I was sort of like you know, free associating, you know, images and 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 art, and then I, it sort of came to me that that skate punks, you know, gave us Spike Jones. Yep. Gave us, you know, the Johnny Knoxville phenomenon. Yep. Gave us, you know, Obey and on through, you know, your art. It, it's it. You can sort of track that. That that. What do you think it is about, 
yeah, about about skate punk in in particular that there's something different than than drugs there's something different than violence there's something you know so immediate and so compelling uh, about skating in that pace uh, do you think it had any any effect on your neural pathways or your creativity in a direct way oh absolutely i mean the way i would look at a city when my um i was you know, skating around or my parents were driving me around looking for spots like, ooh, yeah, that embankment, that looks really perfect. Oh, when I was flying into anywhere, I would be looking out the window to see if there were any drain pools I could see yeah. from the plane. The way the, it's a different analysis you did, of the landscape. You didn't landscape. think about what you were going to, how you were going to get in it. You just knew that you could get in it. Oh, I, I, yeah. I would look for landmarks that would help me find it in a car later. Um, but I, um, you know, I, I think that the, that combination of creativity, um, aggression and you know and you know a physical outlet, but that's not it's not violent towards someone else. It's just uh, you know, but it's very therapeutic. Um, that combination of things. I'm, ever since I got that high, I've been looking for it in, sure. in other ways. And and um, never a drug guy though. No, mm -hmm. no. I mean, I yeah, I enjoy a, a, a beer or two. Yeah, you know, I, I I like I like to go out and, and get loose, but yeah. I'm not uh, I don't have an addictive personality other than to stickers. <laughs> Addicted to stickers. Yeah. All right. So, so you're going to make the jump now. Before you went to the Rhode Island School of Design, had you been to New York? Had you been to uh, cities? Had you been to Boston? When did you go to San Francisco? That was earlier on, or did, were you? Yeah. Were, were you shocked by sort of was the adjustment difficult? No. When I, you know, when when I went to um. When I went to Providence to get back to getting into RISD, my parents didn't like that I went to public school, so they made me go to art boarding school my senior year. What is that? And I, w I was supposed to go to the, this place, the North Carolina School of the Arts in Winston-Salem, where I'd gone for the summer program. I was serious about art, so I always did the Brevard um, summer art program, yeah. the North Carolina School of the Arts summer program. I'd be there for, for you know three weeks, a month, just doing but, art every day. But, but at that time, I mean, what is art training like? Because you, you were already sort of building a vision around a punk rock sensibility were you still drawing were you still you know working your muscles in a standard way you know around yeah. painting and stuff uh, yeah absolutely i had not um i had not come to uh formulate my vision as an right. artist at all i still was just learning how to draw and paint better and understand uh i started to do some photography um I, I was doing very primitive screen printing mostly just to make my own homemade bootleg band and skate shirts that were like my take on husker do the dead kennedys so one color maybe two color one yeah, color one, with a background yeah color. One, one or two colors right. yeah um and and now in terms of models for 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 the early uh shepherd fairy art i mean who were your who were your your guys in terms of of influence well, uh, when I discovered Warhol, I really liked Warhol because... Um, screen printing. Yeah, screen printing, high contrast, using accessible subject matter. So the um, portraits. Well, yeah, I, I did. I, of course, I liked I liked the Marilyn, but I also liked a lot of the stuff that was his painterly take on advertising and yeah. um, and newspaper headlines and things like that. That's I, I, real early stuff. Yeah, with yeah. The, with the photographs, uh, silkscreen photographs of car wrecks and stuff, or whatever. No, even before that, before he started screen printing in such a um, technically proficient way, he was doing paintings and creating stencils like the first coke bottles and right, um, right. and like there you know airplane crash kills 213 things like that did you see um, that retrospective in new york that at the modern when they had it no but i've i've seen a few of his shows in different museums there's that gold leaf period too didn't he do a bunch of gold oh yeah leaf? yeah and he was doing gold on um and then urinating on it to create a, a weird patina he was doing all sorts of 
He's an interesting guy. And so, I, but I, you like the whole the, 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 the thought process behind it. Well, I, I think that because I was having trouble reconciling the elitism of the art world with yeah. what I was into, Warhol as a guy who used, you know, accessible imagery, worked with the Velvet Underground, started Interview Magazine. I just I just like that he seemed to be more of a populist. And also but a, a populist with an, with a, a very strong undercurrent of fuck you to the elitist art world. Yeah, and I, you know, I think he's he's somewhat enigmatic because I think a lot of the things he said were were contradictory, but I think he's really shrewd about how to spin something in one context versus another and um and you know uh, <laughs> making compelling work is that's essential but also being able to find an audience and communicate with an audience is equally as uh, you know as valuable and important and i think he did that really well those those last paintings the portrait of him with the camouflage colors you know, yeah. the, and also the the last supper with the uh, with the logos yeah. to me like you know when i saw those and i don't remember where i saw them and i think it might have been posthumously they, it was almost like the, he was creating these images that encapsulated everything that you know that he represented through his entire life and i think he saw the end you know, coming for him in those last paintings. I found them very moving. Uh, I, I, I don't know if you had the same experience. But. Well, I, you know, there's some of the things that he did towards the end, like just the just the dollar sign. And, yeah, right, um, right. And, you know, how that, um, you know, has so much, it, it's so loaded. There's so many angles of interpretation. And, and yet it seemed to, like you say, like one image, if it could encapsulate what, what he was right. about and what he did, it was... It, it, I named my book Supply and Demand partially in response to that everything has some of those dynamics and what could symbolize that better than the dollar sign. Exactly. And, and, you know, but it was also compelling just as an image. So. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I was always pretty fascinated with him and, and pretty, uh, you know, the, the simplicity and also the, the sort of, there, there, there was clearly an element, not only of populism, populism but like you know, aggressive satire. You yeah. know, and and yeah. and humor in in the thing. You know, even I, even the portraits that he became so well known for felt like a little bit of a fuck you to the elite. To me, even though that he relied on them, yeah. to, he he was like this classic example of of a guy who everybody wanted to be near, and and they also sort of were patrons. Right. You know, it was all built on that. It, yeah, he's a very fascinating person. Yeah. So okay. So early on, so you that was starting to, to hit you in the head. Yeah, and I also really liked Rauschenberg and and uh, and Jasper Johns and you know Lichtenstein too. I mean, a lot of, a lot of this pop artists that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, Lichtenstein yeah. was something, huh? Yeah, I mean, he had great sense of humor, and he's, I mean, he, in in a way, he's like a hip hop artist because he made most of those paintings based on evolving things that frames that he saw in in other cartoons, but um, were comics, but but what he the the way he isolated something to draw more attention to it, the scale, the way he would change the the text to be more for him. And then later on, um, taking the syntax of the halftone dot and the color of the of of, of the comic and turn and using that in a really funny way, like a, a me- very mechanical looking paintbrush stroke. Those were or, genius. I or love a reflection those of a mirror. Right. I mean, yeah. Smart guy. So that that was using the, the visual vocabulary of of, of comic art to, yep. to sort of uh, you know t- t- represent I, things that are virtually impossible to represent. Exactly. With that look. Yeah. That's how. Yeah, that, that's exactly because I remember when I first saw the paint strokes, I was like, "Holy fuck!" Yeah. That's yeah. great. Yeah. I don't even know why. Yeah. Or the the magnifying glass where the halftone dots are just bigger underneath. Yeah. The, yeah. yeah. The, so you know there's the magnification <laughs> right um it's so it's humorous yeah but i mean do you like do you find like i, I guess maybe a, a little older but but certainly contemporary that you know along the same um you know vision 
you know, someone like Coons, do you, do you, do you find him uh, interesting? Yeah. I think Jeff Coons is, is really interesting and smart. I don't, um, you know, I think the sculptures are pretty impressive objects and, and I like a lot of the ideas. Once again, that fuck you of I'm taking the most ridiculous thing and turning it into really valuable art. And, Uh um, yeah, I, 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 um, I don't want to, um, Go ahead. Be critical of Coons, <laughs> but there's a little bit of like an Emperor's New Clothes factor to it that I think he, you know, he he understands that. Okay, I could make. He probably could make anything into one of those high polished chrome sculptures, and somebody's going to buy it. And um, you know, sometimes like a, a, you know, a blank check's dangerous. But right. I um, but I, I think he's very. I think he's very interesting. And you know, there's people like like Richard Prince who do. He did the rephotographed the Marlboro ads, and you know, made images that sold for a lot of money. That um, I mean, we live in a we live in a time where. But the, those are all riffs on Warhol. I mean, that, yeah, that, none yeah. of that happens without Warhol. Right? No, you're, you're absolutely right. And and I I think that that um, you know, one of my um one of my favorite Orwell quotes is a it's the uh, duty of intelligent men and I'd say or women to uh, constantly restate the obvious that there are things out there that are motifs that even if it's been done a hundred times you're going to figure out your way to do it in your way and that it needs to recirculate and well yeah well that's the argument of of that's the the argument in defense of appropriation and the inevitability of it that that at some point you're going to have to be building on something right and uh, you know people i've been criticized a lot for um for appropriation in my work but um the uh i am uh i i I'm an accomplished illustrator. I can make things from scratch, but the language that we all share is reference points. So, you know, an image, a word that if you want to connect with a lot of people, it resonating and having a a preconceived idea that you're either building upon and transforming or that you're subverting is incredibly important to a broad communication. I'm not an abstract painter. I, you know, I'm, I'm trying to make a picture that talks to people. But I think that's also, (laughs) you know, that's where holy in the sense that, you know, you go to where the juice is that, you know, you have, you know, certainly something that, you know, either a famous piece of uh, photography or, or, or a consumer product, yeah. that that brings with it its own baggage its own juice exactly. its own energy yeah absolutely and and then you know you riff on that and you sort of ride that energy and take the message in a different way and right. it, it, before we get into you know really talking about this specifically i think that's what's interesting about where you were coming from is that on the one side the populist and the economy of of what warhol was doing you know versus you know somebody like raymond pettibone who was clearly not planning on any success right and he's, uh, if, if I love all. Pettibone. He's, he's amazing. He's great. I mean, yeah. that when you first sort of got get into those, you know, the simple, the 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 simple sort of comic images, almost with the dialogue, and you spend just hours going like, "Why that dialogue? What the fuck is this about?" Yeah. But so you have these two forces. You have the 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 utter disposability of of punk rock in a sense, and its intention yeah. of being that versus the, which is also a popular form in yeah. in a certain world, but it's not it's not based on economy. It's not based on money, right? And then you have the other side which is a popular form but it's completely based on money so those were kind of the driving forces in this in your mindset yeah i, I mean you know um a lot there's a lot of discussion about money and 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 in its relationship to street art which uh you know i came up through street art and everything i've chosen to pursue yeah. was probably the worst business decision ever and somehow miraculously i've made it work for me and but- with the obama thing was that the turning point really no, um, you know, Obey, uh, uh, I started 
to be able to sell my prints because the internet allowed me to have an unmediated relationship with my audience. Okay, well, before we get to that, let's go to RISD. So I can I, I want to know what got dumped in your head there and where you know where you went from that. <laughs> well, RISD was RISD was incredible. Um, you know, I, I first of all, I think I was uh, okay at, at drawing and two-dimensional design and, yeah. and and the things I did. But when I submitted my portfolio to RISD, I didn't expect to to get in. I got in, and uh, yeah. when I got there, the first year is boot camp where you're just getting very little sleep, drawing, painting, critiquing, doing design classes, sculpture classes. It's it's all it's called foundation, you uh-huh. know. And um but the so that was all basics, but the thing is, I was surrounded by a group of really talented people who brought their perspective from whatever part of the country or the world and when I'm competitive, when I'm around people that are really good, yeah. I try to step my game up. Right. And um so that was valuable, but then I was also exposed to a lot of different a lot of different kinds of uh you know uh art history and and contemporary art and all of a sudden you know my world just got a lot bigger in terms of my my thoughts of what I could do as an as an artist do you remember something in that first year having you know all of a sudden you know entered that that stream of you know people from all over the world who were obviously in, you know gifted and talented and had a certain amount of courage creatively was there something that just blew your fucking mind that that like because there's moments like you know you listen to our crumb talk about the one or two times he took acid and then developed the big feet was there <laughs> was there a, a second where you're like holy shit that my perception just tweaked to a point where you know i've got this whole other avenue well um there were a few things and um yeah there's no there's no sort of one big bang moment but uh i mean one of them is we took a trip to a trip to New York and we were supposed to be going to with with RISD to, yeah. to the Met right but on the way in we're pa- uh, we're on the West Side Highway and you know outside on the Cross Bronx Expressway and I'm seeing all this graffiti and it's accumulating getting more daring um, larger as we go into the city and I I was just in awe because it it was very you know defiant courageous there was no money involved it was it was clandestine and that tapped into something in me, especially after feeling like everything was hyper analyzed at RISD, and yeah. and you didn't want to you didn't want to say the thing that sounded dumb. That this just it just was what it was. It was right. very reflexive, and um and and I you know I loved that, and I decided to bail on the Met thing and walk around New York and look at graffiti. And the stuff on the trains was what was like what I really remember is that the train cars became such you know elaborate you know canvases for so many people and so many colors that used to just blow me away the sitting train cars yeah and you know by the time in 88 when i first went um spent some real time in new york the that era of the trains was over but there was still a lot of street bombing going Mm -hmm. on and um i mean new york was was still fairly economically depressed at that point yeah, i was so, there in 89 yeah i was on the lower east side and Tompkins square hadn't quite fallen yet right and you know there was you know those missing foundation and and cost revs and all that stuff you know that were, were cost sort and of, revs were a big inspiration for me yeah, yeah. it was it, it was cryptic and in you know my brain see like you know coming from where i come from you know i assume meaning like i right. want to right. know like i you know the idea of just tagging for the sake of tagging so you have a presence in the world you know it was sort of like you know what what does that imply what does revs mean you know not that it's just a tag name and right. I, I i always brought that much baggage to like obey when i first saw obey i'm like what's where's that coming from 
Well, you know, all the things you're talking about, um, the reason that I went in the direction I went and not in, you know, the graffiti direction of just putting my name up or, you know, or a, or a symbol that, that didn't really have anything to it was that, um, you know, I know, I, I understand because when I first encountered Revs and Cost, I assumed it must be a political organization because <laughs> right. they were so prolific that I didn't think it could be two taggers. Yeah. And, um, and and so, you know, when I started, I made the Andre the Giant sticker as an inside joke with some skateboarder friends. But what then was it, the joke? Um, our small group of friends that hung out at this skate shop called The Watershed, we were called Team Shed. And, and this a, was in Providence? In Providence, yeah. A friend wanted to learn how to make a stencil, so I looked through the newspaper just for something to him, for him to practice on, yeah. saw an ad for wrestling. And said, oh, why don't you make a stencil of Andre the Giant? He said, no way, I'm not doing that. Said, what are you talking about, man? Andre's posse's taken over. Team Shed has played out. It's gotten too big. It was like, you know, 11 people. Yeah. Like, we got to get, we got to narrow this down to a more elite squad of two. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, but that's the skateboarder mentality, you know? Right, right. Like, like, oh, that band sold more than six cassette tapes. They're total sellouts. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and, but then, you know, once I, I made it, I thought it would be an inside joke. Give them to a few friends, put them on some stop signs at some clubs. And um, I didn't take it seriously because it wasn't serious. But then the responses were serious. The local newspaper, uh, the, the indie rag, like the LA Weekly yeah. called the uh, the Providence Nice Paper, yeah. said had this thing with a picture of the sticker. And they said, um, what is this sticker about? Anyone that knows gets free tickets to the living room show of their choice. That was a venue where I was seeing the Ramones and Jane's right. Addiction and all sorts of people. And I was like, ooh, I want those tickets, but yeah. I don't want to let them know who it is. So, yeah. you know, I put a I put an envelope with some stickers and said, I can't tell you what it is, but here's some stickers if it's any consolation. Then they ran that the next week. And then, you know, they got all these letters in if people were like, I think it's a skateboarder thing. I think it's a band. And I realized the power of an image in public space that's not just an ad or government signage and and realize that wow the control of public space really is very limited and putting something out there that functions like a rorschach test it's really fascinating to see what the responses are so then i thought about sort of the you know the mechanics of 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 uh mechanisms of control and um and i love orwell and i read heidegger's theory of phenomenology that people need these unique things to encounter that reawaken a sense of wonder about their environment and i love the sex pistols who were really into the situationists and that, that idea of the spectacle to yeah, snap yeah. you out of your trance yeah and yeah right so i thought well how could i evolve this and i want to I want to take it in a direction that's a little more serious because I accidentally stu- stumbled onto something that pre-internet seems to be coming like like a you know a meme. It's yeah, going viral, sure. And um, so uh, I saw the film They Live. Have yeah, you ever yeah, seen that? Sure, movie? John, it's John Carpenter. <laughs> yeah, right? exactly. With, the, with, with Rowdy Roddy Piper and the people that could see the the, the everything had the images underneath the the advertising. Yeah. So yeah. when you put on the special sunglasses, right, 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 you right. you realize that um the ads. Um, don't say vacation in Tahiti. It says consume, obey. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, marry and reproduce. Right. And uh, and you know, silly movie, but somewhat of a profound concept and, and um, a satire. Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. And and um, you know, in in that the it's not that there's you know there's two class uh, you know or or masters and slaves in society. It's the aliens are right. the masters sure. and everybody else is the slaves. And there's a few there's a there's a few uh, uh, cooperative. Um, uh, hu- humans yeah. who are, um, you know, who are willing to take the money, but it's all, you know, it's all symbolism about, sure. you know, politics and corporate greed and et yeah. cetera, et cetera. But um, I decided from that, um, seeing that movie, that I was going to start using the word obey because that was the the command that to me seemed, um, you know, most uh, 
offensive when articulated really uh, in your face, but but the uh, but sort of um, the thing that happens people people submit and follow the path of least resistance um, in, in a way that they can they can justify um, or even even subconsciously all the time so i thought you know that's the thing to get the the dialogue about about you know what you really believe what, how you want to be controlled what you want to submit to i'm going to use that so that was and, it. and that was so so the the andre the giant thing was just a, a a goof right and then you but you committed to that delivery system because it, it had traction right and then you added the obey thing which made it even more you, you know kind of puzzling right and because i'm just i'm just thinking about my own reaction to it before i had any fucking idea who you were and and it was around because it sort of spread everywhere that it became some sort of you know punk rock totem chain letter yeah exactly (laughs) that people were just sort of i'm doing it i'm i'm part of this and you know it was i remember seeing it a lot in la but i saw it in new york and it was just this sort of like you know that's andre the giant i didn't really put that together and i'm like what does it mean and there doesn't seem to be any explanation for it but it's disturbing and it's everywhere and then when i'd see it on billboard spaces out here i'm like (laughs) who the fuck is this guy how many of them are there what are they trying to do and uh, it it just became your brain craves order you know what's the conspiracy here what is the message and then when i started to realize it was just a punch in the brain that you know this this is completely out of context it it operates in its own time zone wherever it is like if the power of the image was that anywhere you stuck it 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 sort of kind of destroyed the power of whatever that space was supposed to be and it was just sort of like oh there's one of those things well yeah that idea that um that you know order is actually very um you know, manufactured it's you know it's it's maintained and the idea that you can't you can't deviate from the dominant structure um is or that you, you'd be it'd be a futile endeavor i think is what keeps a lot of people from speaking out um trying to shape things into what they believe and so the moment you you sort of pierce that i think um that emboldens a lot of people and a lot of people are just lazy shits and they're not going to do anything anyway but for the people that maybe needed some sort of spark i i you know i think it has it has value and especially pre-internet when you had to let your own internal uh dialogue happen about it and you couldn't just google it i i I found that very valuable and you know since the since the internet has become such a uh, you know quick route to figuring anything out I still use the obey icon within my work, but I do a lot of. But it's not the 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 standalone. I um you know I perpetuated just a couple of images for years, and then started to make more topical work, especially when um when Bush was elected. Right. Well, it's 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 culture jamming is what it is in in the real zone. You, you know what I mean? Like like the, the what you're talking about the moment where you encounter it, you know what it does in any given individual is jarring. That you know you can't just dismiss it. You know there there there's questions. There's sort of like uh, there's a feeling of being provoked in some way, and it, yep. and it, and it's it's very simple. But like the Bush years, I mean, were you friends with uh, Robbie Connell, or, or did you know his work? Because that that stuff blew my mind. Well, he yeah okay. When we're talking about inspirations, when I was a senior in in high school, I went to school in Idlewild, and we took trips into L.A. to go to art fairs. And at one point in '87, we went downtown and. To, con- to the convention center and Robbie had bombed all the electrical boxes with his Reagan with Contra above and yeah. Diction below. Right. And it was uh, it was a really well-painted image, well-painted in an unflattering way. Right. Um, it was good copy, good politics, humorous. It had everything I was looking for 
And I, I was like, that's, all right, that's the model. That's the template. But I didn't, it, it took me a few years to get around to it, but that was, uh, you know, that was percolating for oh, quite yeah. a while. His stuff, Robbie Connell, the, you know, uh, uh, men with teeth or, or women with, with teeth, teeth and men, men with, with no, no lips. lips. Yeah. And yeah, and the contra, and they, these were like really sort of grotesque caricatures that mm-hmm. were, that were beautifully painted and they were wrought with, you, you could feel the intensity and the evil and the, and the, the sort of, um, predatory yeah. vibe o- of Oily skin and just uh, just reducing um, these politicians to a, almost, almost like you, you could just you could just see through the super the superficial charm and yeah, into right the, to their core being organic <laughs> monsters. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, is he still around? <laughs> yeah, he is. He um he recently did a uh, a Nelson Mandela portrait when he died, and he's not just doing negative things. He's still you know he's still we we collaborated in two thousand four um, to try to you know discourage people from reelecting bush didn't work but um right i did uh i i did an image of bush hug uh holding a bomb and it says or what or or was it hug babies and drop bombs um, right. yeah yeah but yeah. um and then he had um read my apocalypse uh-huh. and um you know with a mushroom cloud in right, the background right. oh yeah i remember that one yeah, yeah. and uh, uh but he, he's still doing things but i think he he um you know he's older now and i think he's almost 70 and yeah. uh so it's a it takes a lot of energy to get out there and put these posters up. So, so yeah, well, how did that? How did that function? How was you know what was the Shepherd Ferry Army around like you know obviously the identif- the identification with the Andre the Giant Obey stuff it was became sort of a you know like a, everyone was part of a secret club in a way that was involved yep. with you know running their own stickers off and that stuff. But did you actually manufacture stickers at, at any point? Were you were you distributing them? Yeah, oh yeah, from the very beginning, from '89, I started off with just paper stickers, run them running them off at Kinko's and cutting them yeah. with a paper cutter or an X-Acto knife while I watched movies at home. Um, right. And then I started my own screen printing studio. And I screen- Where, in Providence? Yeah, in Providence. And uh, I, w- I would screen print them. And I've made millions of stickers. And uh, I always- And you're not eat- brain dead from chemicals? Well, I, it came close. When I was in, in Providence, I would sometimes screen print for- hours and then try to i had a skateboard ramp inside my studio (laughs) and try to skate the ramp and i would i would be dizzy to the point of not being able to skateboard um and so yeah when i when i left rhode island i decided i'm not going to print with that toxic ink anymore because um i'm from the south i already feel uh dumb and genetically inferior anyway (laughs) so why make it any worse i didn't say it Um, i didn't say it (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah yeah you know i i uh as long as, as long as uh, maybe I stay away from that stuff so, and everybody else uses it, it'll be a level playing field. But, but obviously, <laughs> like there, there is a nature, like you know, it seems early in your work, and once you, once notoriety was achieved, that the the intention was was is was almost in the world of of prank. It was a prank, yeah. mm-hmm. and and so when did you become you know uh, politically active? Well, I, you know, I think. I, I was activated in in some ways by people like the Clash and the Dead Kennedys. I remember um, Jello Biafra's lyrics for the song "Bleed for Me" about you know uh, the Peace Corps th- thinks they're um, build us labor camps when they think they're building schools, and what's ten million dead if it keeps if it's keeping out the Russians, and uh, you know uh, uh, America needs oil, but to get it it needs puppets. Right. Um, <laughs> you know it, the, these things started to make me question. Um, that we were always whether we were always the good guys the americans are we always the good guys yeah. and um and then when you know uh, uh 
there were things happening like I remember I first during the uh, flag burning controversy I yeah. thought well if the flag is the symbol of free speech then of course you can burn it right but you know there were people were being arrested on the Capitol steps for burning the flag so I, I mean I've been interested in this kind of stuff I actually made a freedom of speech series back in 1990 um, but even if you look at like the, the interesting thing about that you know and, and it probably was planted earlier is that even Jasper John's stuff that you know his interpretation of the American flag or, or how these other pop artists utilize these, these images that seem sacred you know it, it's not burning but the intent is the same yeah uh, you know I, th- I think that um Art, artists and, and musicians have always, uh, you know, wanted to be provocative. And a lot of the stuff that I do, I, I I know a lot of punk rockers and skateboarders that are fuck you for just the sake of being fuck you. I actually, when I'm being fuck you, there's a point to it. And yeah. um, but you know that the, especially after um, after Bush was elected and after 9/11, the idea of you're either with us or with the terrorists, like right. whoa, 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 slow down there, man. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, and and. If you if you say what's the cause and effect here, what are we doing in other nations that's creating such hostility? That was seen as un-American, and I think that's a, that's a dangerous place to be coming from. So, I I felt like there was an absolute need for me to be more overtly political in my work. Prior to that, I I had a concern that I'm not I'm too ignorant about the complexity of these issues to um, yeah I to, felt that to make an informed right um, assessment and. Um, but I, but then when I saw that you know what was happening after nine eleven and, and and the things that a lot of people were saying, I realized well the people in charge are definitely no no more informed than I am in a lot of ways, or they have an agenda that's really contrary to what the value system of this country is supposed to be. Right, but also I think that the the sort of jingoism and nationalism that sort of was propelled, you know, for people that you know, I'm not saying that creative people by and large are innately selfish, but there is you know a, a focus on your own expression and your own work, and you know you're obviously a bright guy. I was a bright guy before I went to you know, Air America, I felt like my knowledge of politics was, you know, sort of knee-jerk reactionaryism, that, like, I didn't have the depth of detail, but it turns out, even when you look at Warhol's work, or once you sort of unlock it, is that simplicity is really the key. There are fundamental, simple, you know, sort of freedoms that we are guaranteed, and, and, and saying that they're lying, or that this has to be seen, this has to be questioned, uh, there has to be justice. You know, those those are American you know ideals and they're very simple. Yeah. You, know, you don't need yeah. to know exactly what the nuances of a of a of a, a military strike and where what they say it comes from to know. Like, I don't know. I think there's questions. Yeah. Uh, well, absolutely. And I think that, the you know, the great thing about art, especially. Um, you know, in the age we're in now with so much media diversity and so much white noise that, you know, the idea that. um a piece of, a piece of art or a piece of music or design could sort of crystallize uh, you know an idea really s- simply where it becomes a reference point and people want to share it and um you know it it it's it's the simple point of entry to a more complicated conversation but it it needs to be it needs to be Provoked. the thing that sparks it right. yeah and and so uh you know i i'm aiming to do that in a lot of ways with my work but i don't i don't want to get it twisted here I am I'm somebody that wants to make pictures. I want to make pictures and I want to be able to have a point of view with my pictures, but the point of view comes second, the picture comes first. And because there's not 
going over the what's in your head with what's happening in politics is incredibly depressing and this is a therapeutic way for me to address that but the but i get lost in the process itself of making a picture because it's pure pleasure to come up with aesthetic solutions and if i didn't have that side of what i do i'd just i'd probably be suicidal right and and it seems like you know your style has evolved and there there are certain sort of trademarks to 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 you know some of the things you do certainly post you know the hope thing, yep. uh, but, but it, it's it's sort of interesting where you draw sort of you know the ornate boundaries that I I don't know where that that sort of came from but you know it, it there's a postage stamp sort of feel to yep. it and then mm-hmm. there's a you know there's some, what wh- wh- where did you start to stylize like that well you know I probably the the thing that most people knew me for originally was my um, style that was inspired by. Russian constructivist design, the propaganda right, right. posters the from future, the kind yeah. of looking toward the future. Yeah, the, yeah, 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 exactly. And you know, it's a great integration of of, of bold colors, type, and imagery. Um, you know, and you've got Rodchenko and the Sternberg brothers in the late um, teens and early twenties in the Soviet Union. But then there's stuff from China and Cuba that all has a vibe like that. And you could even say that Barbara Kruger's work is pulling a little bit from that sort of uh, uh, you know powerful image. So com- you're combined with type the, and color. The, the, the fine line between you know communist propaganda and and just good advertising. Oh yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, I think the advertising world doesn't embrace that aesthetic only because of its symbolic association it would be a more if you could clean uh, clear the slate you you know tabula rasa with the uh, with a viewer no no baggage that would be the way advertising looked in the United States. The, well, you know, cle- like you Russian constructivism. You're removing the, the baggage of Russian constructivism. Yeah, well, the, the, the <laughs> ideological association right, that's what I mean, that comes right. with it. Yeah, so, um, I mean, one of the things that I found with that work was that it was... I could provoke people and I could do images. I had a series called In Lesser Gods We Trust, which was uh, Mao, Lenin, and Nixon all on stamps. And, yeah. um, you know... I, I don't think our bad guy is better than their bad guy, you right, know, um, right. and and um, and it done in the, this Rus- Russian constructivist style with a mixture of sort of um, currency motifs, you know, like the, the the dollar bill, the way it's designed. It's, uh, you know, I, I think it's, it's subconscious, but it's it's got all this filigree and all this all this beauty that it's 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 a, it's like a temple to uh, to commerce in a way. The Church of Commerce is all all these elements within the bill and um when you look at that, it all, it almost like commands, you know, reverence or submission. And so taking some of those things and, and value, use, yeah. And value and using them in my work. Um, I did a series inspired by public enemies lyric. Um, most of my heroes don't appear on stamps. Yeah. And, um, I did Noam Chomsky, Bobby seal from the black Panthers, Joe yeah. Strummer on um, stamps. Yeah. On yeah. stamps. And I thought, well, you know, part of what's taken seriously is just the, form of presentation you could take i mean look at it in politics you can take an absolute dimwit and put them in the american flag pin coat and tie give them a few talking points and they will be taken a little bit seriously by a lot of people if not a lot seriously and it, it and that's terrifying <laughs> yeah that that needs to be taken down a notch but 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 you know i a lot of what i'm trying to do in my in my work is um use devices that i think get people's attention but also uh, bring them to question the use of the devices themselves to see the intended manipulation and you know some of the things I do are very um, very sincere the Obama poster was very sincere other things I do they have um, you know some some layers of irony and and um, and even 
duality or contradiction. You did. Didn't, I just realized that, you know, I saw Russell Brand's, you know, one man show and you did the set, right? Yeah. And that yeah. that was a dollar sign uh, motif, wasn't there? There was a few. What yeah. Was the yeah. There was, um, it was, uh, was that the a do- dollar sign at the base of an exclamation point. Um, and the and the skull with the uh, with the diamond eyes. And we, had, had you done that type of have you done set design before? Um. Well, yeah, I've done I've done a couple things for music videos. For uh, I did a thing for Billy Idol. I did some stuff for Death Cab for Cutie. Um, I did some stuff for Interpol. Uh-huh. But um, Russell and I became friends um in early 2010, and I think he's a really smart guy. I know oh, yeah. he's been on the show. Yeah. He's you know, he's brilliant and um complicated, but uh I really admired that he, you know, he had uh, a, 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 an amazing, you know, uh, a deep deep reservoir of below the belt jokes that were smart below the belt jokes, but he also would put in some things that I thought were very very intellectually provocative he about had high, higher aspirations exactly, to making a, a difference about um about people's uh uh, uh, you know, obsession with social media and 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 greed and materialism and um and the way that he was weaving those things into this very sort of di- you know diverse stick that he's developed um I thought it was really really brilliant. So when we became friends, we talked about all that, and I said, "Hey, if you ever need any visuals for anything, I'd I'd uh, I'd like to do it because I I'd like to amplify what you're doing." Oh, that's sweet. So let's talk about the life of the Obama poster, the sure. the, the Hope poster, because that, again, not unlike Obey, but for a different generation and a broader audience, you know that that style became a meme. That you know, literally the colors, yeah, and yeah. and the the uh, the 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 format, yeah, and it, it became it just was everywhere. So so where did that come from? Give me the story of that, of the of the actual piece. Sure. Um. You know, uh, I had been making all of these posters that were against the war in Iraq, against the Bush agenda, against the the Patriot Act, and uh-huh. um, and I, you know, I felt like all of that was great for me to do. But what was the alternative? Was I presenting any sort of alternative? And when I saw Obama's speech in two thousand four at the DNC, yeah, I thought it was a great speech. Yep, and um. And then when he announced that he was running for president, I looked more at his policy positions and things that he'd said. He'd opposed the Iraq war when everybody else fell in line because that was the smart thing to do politically, right. um, including Hillary. Yeah. And, um, you know, he was talking about reducing the the influence of lobbyists in Washington, um, the government supplementing um Subsidizing green energy and green technology, um, you know, raising fuel emission, uh, fuel standards, um, fuel economy standards, things like that. All of this was like, wow, that's the opposite of Bush. If this guy has any remote chance, I want to support him because uh, the two party system is is really flawed, and you 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 don't get a wide range of 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 ideas it's 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 you know so reductive but this guy actually seems like he might be charismatic enough and smart enough to figure out how to subversively infiltrate and change things from the inside and i've always believed in this concept of the inside outside strategy so you had hope because you know i, I know as a grown person and just by your art that you know that that it's it's all a single party representing money <laughs> yeah, so, yeah you, you're absolutely right and i'm i'm you know i'm making campaign finance reform images all the time yeah um but, uh, but you had hope. You, 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 I not genu- unlike the rest of us. I know? genuinely had hope. I'm, I'm, I, I decided I had also, you know, um, 
had had a, a two daughters at that point and decided that um, it was actually I was designing the poster about three days before our second daughter was born. Mm. Um, but I decided, you know, I'm I can be the cynical, cool guy and say nobody gets it except me. And, you know, whatever the world's doomed and forget about it, you yeah. know, or I can think I've got kids that are going to inherit whatever I'm handing off to them. And am I going to? Am I going to do the best I can, regardless of the odds, to try to make a difference? And I, you know, it's not. I'm, I'm not. I'm not self righteous. I just. I really selfishly thought I should do what I can for my kids. And um. And so that was a big factor there. And also looking at um. But you just did it. You just did it to do it. I just did it to do it. And mm-hmm. I did it in. I, I looked at it as this is in in conceptually in the same vein of what I'm doing against Bush because if I'm vigorously protesting these things, then I should be vigorously supporting the things that are the opposite. And the way you did that was with uh, with softening uh, the pose, picking the right picture, and changing the colors. <laughs> yeah, I mean, basically, I looked at I looked at um the Obama's obstacles, and yeah. I looked at that that he was uh, you know unproven. He was seen as a rookie. Um, so I, I looked at you know sculptures and photographs of of politicians that had seemed to you know elevate them make them seem legitimate and there's the kennedy looking up you know with, with vision there's there's lincoln on the five dollar bill there's you know there's all sorts of statues i thought how can i make um an illustration of obama that sort of turns him into a, a two-dimensional sculpture that looks like he has gravitas vision and um and so i'm um and and i also have to illustrate it I have to make it stylized and idealized and iconic, but it can't look quasi-Soviet propaganda right. like a lot of my other stuff. It right. has to feel patriotic. So I used red, white, and blue, and um, and I, uh, I, you know, I found I looked searched on Google Images for an image that I thought would be the right thing to illustrate from out of you know thousands of images out there. I cho- I chose. A, a, you know a few and then was like ah, I think this one's the best and then I I you know I did the illustration and uh amplified a few things and um and minimized a few things that I thought were unflattering and released it on my website 350 prints for sale made 350 prints to put up on the street and um and then it was uh then it was off to the races but I thought it would it would maybe affect you know, 25 people like most of my work right. <laughs> and um and that would be that. But I also made a free download of the image. And once I sold the first 350 posters, I printed 10,000 out that were given away at the Oprah rally. And then eventually, um, I printed 300,000 posters and half a million stickers and uh, only sold 1,400 posters total. Right. But but the interesting thing also is that you chose red, white, and blue, but it was not the, the, the traditional primary colors of the flag red white and blue it was quite they were a little different weren't they no i mean i i um i it's a little bit a little bit muted and i used the off-white that i use in a lot of my work and so (laughs) i guess if you if you wanted to read into it you could say okay i'll do the red white and blue thing but it has to be on my terms (laughs) right (laughs) so now okay so now this thing becomes this iconic image uh defines the camp you know the the campaign in a way and it was picked up by everyone and you know, and and it, and it really it, it's amazing that you've kind of created as an artist and not as an advertising entity two very distinct memes at different points in your in your career and in your creative life. Now, the backlash from this image, uh, it, I don't have you know facts at my fingertips, but you got flack because of the appropriation, correct? Yeah, the um, you know, I was sued by the Associated Press, um, who owned the rights to the photograph um, because they said it was copyright infringement. But, 
you know, the way I, I looked at it, it was fair use because um, I look at copyright. I value copyright. I mean, I think people deserve to have their creations protected. Yeah. Um, but protected from bootlegging. What I did was made an illustration from a photograph completely transformative um, aesthetically uh, and then completely different conceptually, which is, you know, concept is, is a, a more important principle than aesthetic in fair use. So I felt like I was I was very safe. But I, I, um, I sympathize with the Associated Press's problem of having people lift their materials and use them verbatim photos and video but that's not what i did and i um you know i don't think copyright is there to protect hypothetical transformation like oh i made this and then later on somebody else might decide they wanted to use yellow on a can yeah or whatever um so but corporate interests have broadened the interpretation of, of intellectual of, property. Yeah, of copyright protection. It's tricky, man. And um, I'm a reasonable person. I felt like their law, their lawsuit was unreasonable. And when they approached me, I said, um, I'd be glad to pay the licensing fee that it would have cost to license this photo. But um, but I'm not open to anything punitive. And what was the licensing fee? The licensing fee, well, there there are a lot of different variables that they can figure out how to spin to their benefit. But the most it could have cost for worldwide exclusive use was $30,000. But it probably would have been about $400. And what, now how did you settle this? Uh, we were in a lawsuit and we settled. And, you know, I'm not... Uh, I'm, you know, I'm not allowed to disparage them or talk about the, uh, talk about the settlement. And, right. um, and did you think it was fair? Um, oh no, I, I was very excessive, but, um, but let, you know, luckily I, I, I live to, you know, fight another day and uh, on different fronts with a, with a new, um, a, a new, uh, understanding of sort of the the pain of going through a lawsuit and, and how to avoid it. And also the copyright and intellectual property landscape. Yeah. That. And, and, um, you know, there, there's, uh, I, I think what a lot, a lot of people don't understand is most of the art since the invention of the photograph, yeah. um, based on the same criteria I was sued would be, you know, um, illegal and pulled out of museums. If, it, you know, if, uh, if, right. If, yeah. if it were held to that. And, um, you know, there are people that love to just say, Warhol was nothing but a good editor. He just chose good images to make stuff of. But it's actually, I think, a very unsophisticated analysis because the way in which he would transform, even even if it was even if it was s simple, it was the part that mattered. Yeah, and and so I, I'm sure you deal with that all the time. That you know, five people could tell the same joke, Mr. Right. Comedian, but but somebody's got one slight twist or one one way of delivering it that makes all the difference in the impact well yeah and if you're doing stuff that is based on pop culture or based on the the ebb and flow of of, of cultural commerce and images or or ideas you know you're going everyone's pulling from the same pool man yeah <laughs> well and, and i mean that's another thing that I, I've, I've tried to bring up is that the evolution of you know science technology culture is all based on building upon what's happened in the past and communications the same way. So um, I, I, I'm not making an argument for being lazy because there's plenty of raw material out there to just recycle. I'm actually saying that th that raw material is valuable in evolving. Right. And, and if you want to do the kind of art that, you know, defies any cultural interpretation or, or, or attempt at, at sort of, uh, uh, being part of culture, I mean, that's a whole other different world. I mean, yeah. it, it's really like, if you're going to be, 
you know, if you want to do what the abstract impressionists did for the first time and 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 carve your own world out of out of nothing, yeah, you know, that's a that's a different creative agenda. Yeah, and it's equally as valid. And and you know, some people would argue that's pure art. But right. the other thing is is continuing the cultural conversation and and sort of building on on ideas that came before you. It's tricky. It's it's a tricky area. But I think now that you know a lot of people just seek a payday is that you know a lot of it is driven by by predatory lawyers exactly and, and yeah. also by you know the this sort of you, you know this new there's a whole new as as art you know, moves on and representation moves on you know the ways that lawyers can can you know try to make money right uh, also broadens exactly and you know there are things i buy music because i want to support the musicians but i'm also yeah in a luxurious position to be able to afford to buy music. If I, if I were 15 right now, I probably wouldn't be buying music. I'd probably be downloading. And then, but, if, and also if you, yeah, right. But if you had a conscience when you became 22, you'd try to give something back. Right. And <laughs> you know, I want to, I want to see that kind of creativity um, continue and thrive. So if, if, you know, if there's no, if there's no financial support structure for those people, things I enjoy go away. Right. And what about with, with Andre? Was there any flack from that? Uh, well, by the time the Andre's estate hit me up, I had already oh, they transitioned. Did, they did hit you. Yeah, up. they. I'd already transitioned to obey, and yeah. um, and the, you know the obey icon is um, you know it's a it's a it's a very transformative abstraction from the from you know from the original Andre. So they knew that there was no um, legal leg for them to stand on in terms of trying to say that 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 was Andre the Giant. So I just can't sell the original Andre the Giant has a posse sticker. And my original website was Andre the Giant has a posse dot I mean Andre the Giant dot com. Yeah. Which uh, a lot of uh, a lot of wrestling fans were hitting me up saying this has nothing to do with Andre the Giant, one of the greatest athletes ever. And you know, you're doing this commie propaganda stuff. I don't I don't get it. I, this, yeah. this is really horrible and disrespectful. And um, so then I just changed my website to obeygiant.com because Andre the Giant is a trademark name. The WWF owns it. Okay. So but it's also interesting that that mindset you were just talking about that insists on keeping, you know, what they see uh, as the the purity of representation, you know, becomes also an obstacle to creative progress in some ways because you're not going to convince them to, to you're not going to you know, bring them around to understand your intentions. No, and it's very it's very different. A lot of people are like, "Well, what does it have to do with Andre the Giant?" Like not much. Um <laughs> yeah, he, right. he, he's you know, he's uh, memorable and he yeah, has a uh, yeah. You know, for some people he's he's scary and intimidating, and for other people he's he's goofy and feeble and sad, and that's cool that he has that that range of interpretation. But beyond that, nothing. And um, but one thing that was really funny about the uh, about the copyright stuff with Andre is that a few years after we had already signed paperwork that I won't make, I won't sell images of the original Andre sticker, the estate came back to me and said. Um, well, you know, uh, we're doing some bobbleheads and things like that. And we, uh, just for shits and giggles, we threw some of your images in front of the Andre crowd. And they actually performed better with the focus groups than the real Andre <laughs> stuff. So we were wondering if we could license, co like split license it from you. Like they, you know, they would pay me half of right, what they'd right. normally pay because they're considering it partially their IP in a sense, yeah. um, intellectual property. Yeah. Um, and but I, but the, the, you know, so the, the surreal thing was there, there are these guys that haven't, they got nothing to do with what I meant now wanting to change the meaning back. Please tell me you just gave it to them. Well, I, I said, I said, um, I said, you know, well, what do you want to do with it? And they said, you know, like bump, uh, bobbleheads and 
gumball machines yeah. and things like that. And I said, you know, it's really not what I'm trying to do. So um, I, I said, yeah, you know, you guys can talk, use this, anything for for uh, to tell the story of right. this whole thing. But I, don't, I just don't want it on those products. Right, right. You know? And because I get accused of being a sellout all the time because I make T-shirts with my images on it. So, you know, doing doing that, even if I the spirit had been generous, I would have been it's accused still, as always. Well, that being, would have been real sellout. Yeah, yeah, in a yeah. way. Yeah, like, yeah. yeah. But, but but it would have been but, a different story if you were like, you know, just fucking take it, and that became the narrative for well, you. The, the, I mean, when I first started, the coup of just insinuating it wherever I could was yeah. the biggest deal. Like, wow, how did that happen? Look at this. So that was that was like the ultimate in terms of that idea. But I knew that. I wasn't going to get to sit face to face with every single person who was going to have a knee jerk reaction to it and explain. That's right. right. How this I happened? Get I get it. Because that would have been funny. It's like, yeah, yeah. take it, and yeah. then you win in a way. <laughs> right. Right. But not to the people that are dying to fucking take you down. Right. Right. <laughs> yep. So, in terms of sellout, in terms of you know how you know you, your sensibility has been appropriated, and, and and you've been involved in advertising as well. Yep. I mean, you know, how do you reconcile that? Because you know that. Yeah, that with Warhol too, and and obviously some things after people are dead and s- estates sell things, but you know you're actively working within within the 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 the, the creative uh, framework for your own expression with you know propaganda and advertising. Sure. So how do you reconcile you know, you actual advertising and and being involved with that? Well, um, <laughs> I uh, a lot of people think that. I became known as a street artist and then was able to cash in on the the brand I'd built around that to to um you know flog Mountain Dew or whatever or whatever else but um but actually what it was was that I was still after my screen printing business in Providence failed I had to just make a living and I was trying to keep the dream alive creatively so I started doing graphic design mostly for uh streetwear and skateboard companies but then I was approached by Netscape to do a logo. I was like, oh, wow, you know, I'd have to do 25 T-shirts to get the same check I got for that thing for Netscape. And I was using that money to pay for, you know, my $69 flight from San Diego to San Francisco to go put posters up and, you know, just funding my my, yeah. my street art project. Right. And, um, you know, one of the things that I always said was, Working as a graphic designer, I'll never work for a company that I have an ethical conflict with. And and so, you know, I'd been approached by Hummer and Camel Cigarettes and yeah. people. I just said, no, I'm sorry, I can't do it. But then there are a lot of people like Levi's or, or um, Mountain Dew, Netscape, um, uh, Toyota that I... I felt, you know, not not emotionally invested, but not but not like uh, I've gone to the dark side well, for, interesting for doing that, this stuff. But, but it's also interesting that because you know your style and your capacity and capability uh, as as uh, as an artist is so defined that like some people who would do that would would sort of um, you know make a living, but you, you know th- they would use their talents to just service the product without bringing their own style to it necessarily. Right. But they were at that point probably actually after, you know, exactly what you do that you define for yourself. So it'd be probably tricky to explain it to people who are fans of yours. Yeah. Whereas, like you can't be like, there's been plenty of artists that have had have done have, that have done stuff, you know, graphically that really couldn't be associated with them unless someone asked them. Right. And, and, you know, that there was a, there was a period of time in the early two thousands where I, um, my, my profile was a lot greater than my cash flow. Right. And so, um, a lot of people thought, well, I'm just doing this for, for, you know, to cash in, but really it was just about survival. So, you know, um, Black Eyed Peas album cover, uh, right. things like that, that, uh, you know, I'm not, 
I'm not ashamed of, but it wouldn't probably be my first choice of things to do. Um, you know, we're really just about about survival. And then now what's happened is I'm, I'm able to be selective. So the only commercial projects I've been doing for the last few years are things like the Led Zeppelin Celebration Day package or, uh, you know, a couple, a, 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 did a collaboration with Levi's. I really like, I wear Levi's and I'm friends with a bunch of the people at Levi's. I, I respect the brand, yeah, yeah, you yeah. know. So, you know, thing, things like that, that that I've done. But really... I'm 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 getting to live what I've always been wanting the dream I've always been wanting to live which is making art that's meaningful to me and I put it out there through a lot of platforms I I believe that art should be a lot more democratic than it usually is so street art t-shirts my clothing line I've made t-shirts were the visual currency of everything important to me as a kid yeah so I, you know, I, I made Andre the Giant has a bossy t-shirts the first week I made the sticker in 89 yeah. but a lot of people think like oh you know a, a t- a, having a clothing company is is watering down your brand, but I actually do a lot of awesome things with my clothing line. We do a thing called the awareness program every um, every two seasons that is for a cause like you know genocide and Darfur yeah. or not not to not to um, uh, bolster the genocide in, in Darfur, but to reduce it. I, I, <laughs> but, I, 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 it's, I'm glad you cleared that up. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, just in case. Um, but, but you know, and, and the cool thing is that for a lot of people who don't get to see my art firsthand in a, you know, a city like L.A. or New York or Chicago or whatever, the T-shirt that goes into the local skate shop, that might be the, the point the point of entry for a lot of the ideas. So fashion is inherently superficial, but I'm able to put some things there that I think sometimes have a little bit more, a little bit more content uh, or a little bit more provocative but are also maybe the you know the gateway drug to, yeah, for the right. other stuff I'm doing and to and to the ideas of the other stuff. I, yeah, I, yeah. Well, I think it's yeah. interesting that you know drawing from the, the 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 that sort of Russian form that was specifically propaganda, but but framed in the way that this is people's art. People's art in the sense of like how communism defined what peoples are. Yeah, is yeah. that you know? But there's a there there's a sort of imposed. And 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 malignant populism to that that right. was you know disguising nationalism and, and totalitarianism, but but what you're doing is actually within the context of of the American economy is 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 championing a, a populist form of art that that has you know multi tiers of 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 not only a profit margin but a message margin, but then also you know coming back to the actual ideas of the artist, which is part of the freedom of being in America as well. Right. So so it is a true populism. Yeah, and and you know, um, I'm I I think my philosophy is somewhat Marxist from each according to his or her ability to each according to his or her need. But my but the realities of the system we're in is it's capitalism. So I I embrace what I call a you know a, a conscientious capitalism where I don't have to be uh, forcing everybody to uh, work part time so I don't have to give them health insurance. I don't have to you know I can take the profits from a poster that somebody buys as a as like a luxury item basically and give them and and put that to causes I believe in whether it's the the NRDC or campaign finance reform with root strikers or in, in any number of things those are but those are things that I have 
created within the parameters of you know the realities of the system we're in well it's it's all impressive and i it was a pleasure talking to you and you did and poster art was part of your was part of your thing rock poster art because i know you brought me some stuff and they're beautiful love love rock rock posters rock poster art from john van hammersfeld's hendrix to you know new stuff that's that's coming out now from aesthetic apparatus out of minneapolis still still a very very uh great medium i love it and and really you know when you're a kid of a certain age like we are you're not that much younger than me but but entering that world was it's just like it was mind-blowing man so much uh to absorb it was the magic kingdom And, and 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 from like you know, cool people speak this language. I have to learn how to speak this yeah. language. Do you remember the, the <laughs> remember the old Bleaker Bobs? Oh uh, yeah, like yeah, walking yeah. into that place with all the forty fives up on the wall, and you're like, "What the fuck?" That was when I went to New York in '86 to see the Smiths and GBH and and the Cro-Mags um, at separate shows. Yeah, um, that was that and Second Coming Records on 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 Second Ave were the places that I went every day and and bought and uh, you know was like. A lot of window shopping. Didn't have much money, but you know, chose chose a few important records. But uh, yeah, of course. I mean, that was that was heaven to get to have all that good music right in front of me um, when I came from South Carolina, where I had to mail order the Great Rock and Roll Swindle. You know, right, right. And, <laughs> and I remember this switch from when I was really young, like fourteen, uh, fifteen, when I'd go visit my grandmother and go in the city, and you'd go into Bleaker Bob's, and all the forty fives on the wall were like Beatles and and of that yeah. era of music. Yeah, yeah. And then at some point, it just crossed over to all punk. You know, forty fives that were. Co- it, yeah, it, you know, God damn it, <laughs> huh? Let's not let's not get too nostalgic. All right, man. <laughs> It was nice talking to you, Shepard. Yeah, great to talk to you too, Mark. Thanks for having me. See, that was interesting. I like talking to artists. More artists, please. Folks, thank you for listening. I enjoy you hanging out. I'm glad you're here. Makes me feel better. Uh, Go to WTF Pod for all your WTF Pod needs. Get some JustCoffee.coop. Write a comment. We left the comments there. I don't know why, but they're still there. Get the app, upgrade to the premium, stream all the shows. Oh, God. See that? There's even like a shake in my inhale. This is no time to come unglued, man. I mean, things are going okay. Things are going well. It's no time to come unglued. Is that when some people come unglued? Boomer lives!